Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is April the 5th, 2023, um, a Wednesday on the West Coast of the United States. A few weeks ago, there was an interesting piece in the New Yorker by the excellent journalist Nathan Heller, the end of the English major crisis of humanities in American universities. Uh, these pieces are periodic. We always seem to get them. But according to Heller, things are reaching a rather uh, dismal state. Uh, people simply aren't studying the humanities anymore, particularly English and philosophy, the two core subjects in the canon. Uh, I wonder what we lose when people stop studying these things, when they, they no longer know the philosophers um, and are able to cite them and refer to them in their lives. My guest today, uh, Diana Janney, is a prolific journalist, uh, not journalist, prolific novelist with a background in philosophy. Uh, and her studies of philosophy have informed um, her literature uh, her new book, it came out last year, A Man of Understanding, is a deeply philosophical book. And her previous two books, The Infinite Wisdom of Harriet Rose uh, and The Choice, are also informed by her study of philosophy. Uh, Diana is joining us from her home on the Kent-Sussex border in southeast England, and I'm thrilled that uh, she's with us. Uh, Diana... Uh, what do you think we lose when people stop studying the humanities? Uh, you studied philosophy uh, at London University. We may have actually been there at the same time. What is it about the study of philosophy in particular that you think enriches our lives? I think philosophy um, is, is, is very important for the, 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 the getting across complex issues in, an, in a way that's uh, comprehensible. And I think that um, many people are frightened off by it. I think they think of it as something which is dry, um, deep and complicated and not accessible enough. Um, and so I, I write my novels. Um, I've written all my novels so far with, with philosophy interlaced within them. Um, because I, I, I want to reach the people. I want to reach people that are not necessarily trained in philosophy with a background um, in philosophy um, so that they realise that it isn't as inaccessible as, as they, they believe it to be. Um, and I, I'm not alone in doing that because uh, Aristotle took a similar approach because Aristotle... Um, as you, as you probably know, was uh, trained by, by, Plato, by Plato in, in Plato's um, academy. And then uh, Aristotle went to set up his own Lyceum uh, University. And um, he, he decided that he wanted to go out every afternoon and address the people, the general people, not just the, his contemporaries um, um, who were philosophically trained. 
without using the jargon, for instance, that, that he was uh, used to using those people that may have been too inaccessible to the general public. So he wrote his, his, his thoughts, his views, his theses. He wrote them for his contemporaries, the elitist, if you like, of, of, of philosophical thinking. And he wrote um, an alternative, which was for those people. And he wrote, he wrote those um, uh, alternatives uh, for the general people, the alternative, in, in, in dialogue form. And he wrote them with very strong characters that really resonated with the people. Um, and uh, I, I, I believe that in, in writing novels, such as I do, with strong characters, with, very, uh, with strong views who, for instance, in A Man of Understanding, this, this master pupil uh, relationship between Horatio Hennessy and his grandson and Blue. It's very much in, in keeping with the sort of platonic master-pupil relationship um, and also it, with the dialogues that, that Aristotle wrote for the general people that he wanted the whole of the Greek-speaking uh, world to, to have access to in, um, in um, his, his exoteric papers. Um, uh, all... Diana, reading your biography, uh, it seems as if you were invented or perhaps reinvented by your philosophical studies at uh, University College in London. Uh, what's particularly interesting is that um, you began life in career terms as a fashion model. I did. Uh, yes. And then you went from being this high celebrity model, uh, supermodel perhaps of your age, to studying philosophy. Tell me a little bit about that. And, and was philosophy something that perhaps in a way saved you from um, your career in modeling or perhaps uh, the reverse is true? Did your experience in modeling give more perspective, more insights and depth to your study of philosophy? Um, I don't think that it was a career that I needed to be saved from. <laughs> I enjoyed it um, when I, I left school with, with a lot of A-levels and O-levels, but with, at that time not, not, not having a desire to, to go to university. It wasn't until a later period, as you say, that I, that I went, to, went to, to, to UCL to, um, to read philosophy. What years were you at UCL, by the way? Uh, no, you're testing me now. I know, I'm revealing your age, Diane. When yeah, that, you said you were a bit older when you went. 1988 um, to 1993. Oh, okay. So we, we didn't overlap, but we could have. When were you there? I, well, I was just down the road uh, in Senate House uh, in the early 80s. Right. Um, yeah, it was a great university to be at. And it it still is a great university, and of course it has that famous... Uh, corpse of Jeremy Bentham at the entrance, UCL. Um, so, sorry, I interrupted. So, so to going back to how you got from being this high celebrity fashion model to a student of philosophy at UCL, how did you do that? Well, um, before I'd even started modeling, I had an interest in, in philosophy, I have to say that, because um, I, I, I did one of my A levels was in Latin, and I was very interested in the works of, uh, of, of, of Cicero and, and others. And it encouraged me towards reflective philosophical thought. I, um, 
Um, and I carried that with me. Um, although, as I said, I didn't want to go to university at that time. I wanted to, to get out and experience something of the world. And I was good at languages and modeling seemed to me to be some, something where I could use my languages, travel the world, and then think about what I wanted, what I wanted to do next. It was by chance that I got involved in, in, in fashion modeling um, at that period after I'd just left school because I met a, a fashion editor from, I think it was, it was either Vogue or Harper's and Queen, who suggested to me, thought that, I would, that I, it would be something I would be good at and gave me the names of some of the leading model agencies, and I was fortunate to be taken on. By by one of those, um, that, um... it seems to me the fashion industry is the reverse of the business of philosophy. Philosophers want to get under the surface. Fashion is all appearance. Is that right. fair, or are there some philosophers who believe that appearance is reality? Um, well, not in the, not in the sense of analysing these the sort of the the. the Appearance, the appearance is an important part of one's life in the way that it is when you're when you're a, a fashion fashion model. Um, and uh, one of the reasons that I wanted to move on from that was because um, it, it was limiting to my intellect, and um, I, and I, 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 I needed to gain more from life that I got um, in my intellectual life out out of out of um, going to university and, and studying philosophy. However, I'd say that it's right in a sense in as much as I was, was drawn in my um, philosophy studies to aesthetics, um, which obviously, you know, the judgment of, uh, of taste, what it is for something to be beautiful. Um, 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 not in the sense of setting itself myself up as in in any way as 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 as, as, as a, for that exercise, but I'm I'm I was particularly interested in 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 Kant uh, Kant's theory. Yeah, um, obviously externally you were beautiful. You still are. With oh, Kant, of course, was. Um, Kant, of course, was interested in in the interior rather than the exterior. Were you particularly drawn to Kant for his theory of morality? And were you was that something you were searching for in in terms of definitely your yeah. um, your interest in philosophy in in, in the moral world? Yes, the, the moral world was also always very very important to me, possibly because um, I was the daughter of the Manse. My father was a clergyman, as was his father, and as was my father's mother's father, so there's quite a lot of uh, uh, sermons going on there, and 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 an interest in religion and and morality. And, and my parents were, were were very enthusiastic about bringing young people into the church who might never have had an experience of that. So there were there were those influences, and if you. For example, I was saying earlier about um, Aristotle wanting to reach the people. Well, John Wesley, who was the, essentially the founder of Methodism, which was that where my family's um, um, my, my my father and grandfather were Methodist ministers, and 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 he in the 18th century decided to, that the the, the 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 church wasn't offering enough um, to certain. Um, of the general people that I mentioned about Aristotle, that, that, that so he decided that he he wanted to go out of the church and he would go to prisoners 
And he would preach in the fields. He would even preach from his own father's tombstone um, and go to the laborers and was very vociferous in his views, a very strong preacher. And, and he used, used his voice, he used his words, um, and he used his strong faith to bring people um, into, in, into the church. Diana, you've, um, you've mentioned a lot of, it goes without saying, of course, you're a woman and you were a, a prominent female model. You've mentioned a lot of men, your grandfather, your father, all clergymen. You've talked about uh, Aristotle. Uh, I know you have a keen interest in Kant. We talked about him as well as uh, David Hume, all men, of course. One of your books um, is about a female philosopher, The Infinite Wisdom of Harriet Rose. We did a show a couple of years ago with the American writer Benjamin J.B. Lipscomb, who had an interesting book, The Women Are Up to Something, how Elizabeth Anscombe, Philippa Foote, Mary Midgley and Iris Murdoch revolutionized ethics. All four were British philosophers. Is there... Uh, a female angle on your interest in philosophy? Were you drawn not just in terms of your broader ethical interest, but as a woman? I've never really thought of myself as in, in terms of being a woman as being any different from a man. I wasn't brought up to feel that the female was the inferior, inferior sex. Um, I thought of myself as completely equal amongst my male con uh, contemporaries in philosophy at UCL. Um, which was about, at that time, around about 50-50. Um, so I didn't feel that I wanted to prove myself to be an, um, a, a, a relatively important person in, my, in, in as much as my, I promote my philosophical views from the standpoint of being a female. You mentioned Philippa Foote. I was, I, I was very influenced by her, her views on, on, on morality in particular. And um, yeah, Iris Murdoch managed to bring philosophical views, as I believe, in, in, into, into her novel writing. Very great women, but it's 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 a lot of the thought that that is still to today so important from philosophy goes back to sort of Plato, Aristotle, Socrates, Plato, Aristotle times and, and before that. And then we went into the, the, the great importance of the 17th, 18th century um, with, you know, Descartes, Locke, um, Berkeley, Leibniz, Hume, Kant, all men. Yeah. And um, but that was that was just that was just those times. That's that's what was to be expected in those times, but it's not to be expected now, fortunately. So let's come to your new novel, A Man of Understanding, a man, of course, not a woman, and, and it's a book about a relationship between an older man and a, a younger man. Tell us a little bit about the book. Mm -hmm. um, well, before the story begins, I'm not giving anything away by saying this, um, but Blue, he, he was actually called, he's actually called, Rufus Ellerton, and um, but uh, Horatio changes his name to, to to Blue, believing that that is more Miro-esque. Miro was somebody who, who uh, lived and, and, and painted for many years in, in Mallorca, where uh, Horatio or Hennessy. Yeah, just a reminder, Mallorca, of course, is the um, the island um, uh, just off uh, the the Spanish. Uh, 
coast, a uh, very beloved island, both for Spanish yes. and foreigners. So this is where the novel is set. It's a very important setting, isn't it, Diana? Yes, it is. It's, it's important for the book because um, I based the setting on an area that I've spent a great deal of time in, which is in the north of the island. And, um, in the um, mountains, right? The mountains, the, the, the Sierra de Tramontana mountain range. Uh, and uh, very the, the, beautiful. I've been there myself. Yeah, yeah. very different. When, when, when most people think of Mallorca, they think of the coast and I, yes, I don't British and German tourists, but it's very, very different. Yes, yes. Um, um, I've been to Palma, which is beautiful in a very different way. But 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 all my trips with my husband and have been to to um, to De to Dea, which you. Um, and Dea, as if, if you know that area, well, then you'll know that Dea is a very much an artist's colony. Um, it's attracted uh, artists of different fields for, for, for generations. For instance, Robert Graves um, had a house there. It's still there as a museum of I, Claudius Fay. Um, and uh, just near to Dea in Val de Mossa, uh, Chopin lived with with the writer Georges Sand, his his lover, and D. H. Lawrence used to go there. Nowadays, um, there are there, there are artists um, in 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 various fields living living there with her. Oh, it's, it's it's an ideal setting for a novel. Uh, yeah. And, and yeah. tell me a little bit about this man of understanding. Uh, we don't want to give away the whole story, Diane. Mm -hmm. We want people to read the book, but. This well, man of understanding, this older man, did he have a background like you in philosophy or was he just naturally philosophical? I don't actually say in, in the book what his background is in yeah, philosophy. You, uh, you know, you can reveal now. So you want me to tell you more about him than that's in the book? <laughs> well, that's really going to bring him alive. And I must say that I do miss him enormously, so it's quite nice to do something like that. But, um, yeah, he's very learned in philosophy. He's, and he, he, he used, he, as I say, that, that, that the flu has been orphaned um, and his parents die in a, a tragic car accident before, before the, the, the story begins. And so um, Horatio has been chosen as his, as, as his guardian. Um, um, although, for, for, for mysteriously, uh, um, Blue has never met his, his grandfather. Blue is, is, is 12 years old, um, a very highly intelligent 12-year-old. And so um, this philosopher and published poet, Horatio Hennessy, so um, we do know something about the poetic side of his nature, even if we don't know the exact details of his background in philosophy. He's had a variety of, of different um, occupations, profession, profess, professions that you learn, learn about. Um, but he, uh, he, he decides that here is this guy, here is this boy, very intelligent, very sensitive, only child, um, devastated to lose his parents, grieving, sorrowful, naturally. And he, he thinks that um, utilizes in order to, to draw him out of himself and to help him heal, he uses the arts. So he uses um, first and foremost uh, poetry and philosophy, but, uh, poetry um, because Blue stumbles by chance upon a, 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 a the, the published book um, that had been published years ago by Horatio. And he's fascinated by the poems, can't wait to read more of them smuggles it away from Morocco where he finds it back to back to Mallorca 
uh, where they're living in the in a finca that, um, that 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 Horatio renovated himself, and and so he, he Horatio picks up on the fact that he's very interested in poetry, and he teaches him about it, teaches him what's important about it, um, the, the importance of metaphor, for instance, he, he um, uh, the, the importance of the of the right title sometimes and and he encourages him to think about what moves his soul what really shakes him up um that that's the important thing to think about when you're writing a poem to, to try and get him to write his first poem um he, blue is a little bit nervous about this because he's rather in awe by that time of the magnitude of his grandfather's intellect um and he's a sort of larger in life uh, charismatic character in, in any event but then they go on to, to write their very first poem together. And I, that's a catalyst, really, in the story, because it's for the first time that each of them, and they've both got grief, different types of grief. They've both got mysteries, secrets that they can't discuss. But for the first time, they are able to converse through poetry. And they, they um, Horatio offers blew the opportunity to think of the title, think a title that he thinks is important and matters to him. He helps him because not to think of it in terms of what, what Blue feels that his grandfather will like to hear, but to think as an individual, to find his own identity. And I think that's another important theme in the book. He wants him to, to, to grow as an individual, so he's not too reliant on him the way he's been reliant on his parents. So... Blue thinks of the theme, and then they will take line by line, um, the, 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 alternate until they've come to the end of the poem that they just naturally create. Mm. No, no, obviously, this young man experienced awful luck, very bad luck, in losing both his parents. Philosophers have always been interested in the idea of luck. In an odd way, though, could it be argued that he was lucky? to have landed with this man of understanding, this grandfather he never knew, and had his parents not been killed in, in this terrible car crash, that um, he would have never had this experience. It shows the ambiguity of luck. It certainly does. It's an interesting point. Um, he, he, it, 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 but there's so many people that are suffering loss, uh, um, and uh, they, they then have to start all over again in a completely new life, not just orphan children, but um, adults as well, by lo losing somebody very special to them. And it would be very easy to just be insular in that, in that situation. It would have been very easy for, for, for Blue to, to go off to the mountains of Mallorca and be horrified that he's away from the England, which is the only home that he's ever known, and away from the parents that is the only sort of love relative that he's that he's had in his life. But he he is encouraged by the positivity, and he is lucky in the respect that it's it's the it's the it's the the, the, the for, good fortune of having somebody is interesting and learned and encouraging in the form of how to heal um, as to be thrust upon him. Um, Diana, there's a there's a real fashion these days for books and thinking and conversations about grieving. It doesn't seem as if people quite understand how to grieve anymore. Or perhaps we live in this age of anxiety where people grieve continuously. What do you make of that in terms of the history of philosophy? Are we at a time these days in the 2020s where we are 
uh, where simultaneously we don't know how to grieve and yet we're preoccupied with the idea of grieving? Perhaps too, too preoccupied with it as something a, a negative. And what I try to do in the book is to demonstrate that what you can do is to turn something that's a very negative experience into something that's very positive. And um, I think that that's an, that's an important message to get across to people who are, who are grieving. That, that sounds a little American, though. It's surprising <laughs> comes from you, the idea of turning grieving into something positive. What do you mean by that? Well, it, what, what happens with Blue, I don't want to give too much. Yeah, away. don't give it away too much. Yeah, but but, but um, he, he grows out of the experience. He grows from the experience into understanding what, what loss really means. And that by um, the, 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 the individuals that he's lost are still with him in essence. He's carrying them with him. It, what he, uh, he, 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 he overcomes his loss by virtue of in, in, in enjoying learning. For instance, Aristotle was similarly orphaned at the same sort of age that Blue was, which is one of the reasons why Horatio chooses Aristotle as a role model for him. And he too was tutored by a relative, in his case, an uncle rather than a grandfather, who taught him about philosophy and interestingly taught him about poetry as well. So straight away you have a situation where um, Horatio is turning something negative, obviously the grieving, into something positive because he's given him an extraordinary role model like Aristotle. Yeah. Um, so he, then he grasps the possibilities that, that, that philosophy give, gives him. And um, by reading, um, I've, I've interlaced the book with my own the poetry that's in the book is obviously Horatio's and Blue's as well. Um, and uh, to demonstrate um, particularly Horatio's view on, on what it means to lose somebody. He's lost his wife and is, is grieving Sophia, his wife's loss, and, and how, how that has really affected him, but how he has learned enormously to grow from it. And then and you see from the book the way that... Yeah, we don't want to give away the plot, but let's end with <laughs> yeah. some remarks on Aristotle, particularly on his ethics and his notion of the golden mean. I know that this is an important philosophical idea for you, and it's in the book. What is it about Aristotle that he seems so ancient in some ways, so distant from us, and yet he remains so relevant? What is it about Aristotelian thought, particularly his notion of the the golden mean that remains so relevant today. Yeah, uh, the, yes. I mean, the golden mean was, it, 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 is, is very important um, in, terms of, uh, in terms of virtue. And so um, Aristotle, for anyone that doesn't know about Aristotle's um, reference to the golden mean, um, it, it is that, that in order to, 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 virtue consists in finding that mean, that midway point between two extremes. On the one hand, excess. On the other hand, defect, as he calls it. And for instance, uh, the, the virtue of courage. If you're if you are if you are too excessively cor uh, courageous, then you could be classified as uh, reckless. Um, and if you are not courageous enough, uh, then you're in danger of of being um, a, a, a coward. 
Um, so it's, it's all about hitting the right midway point, but using your intellect to rationalize to do so. Um, and it's always a moving line as well. It's not going to be sick. And um, I use that in the book um, as something that, 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 uh, that Horatio teaches to Blue in such a way that Blue then turns it back onto, onto Horatio and says, well, what about, what about love? Can you, is it possible to love someone too much? And Horatio hasn't actually considered that. So he goes away and tries to work out what Aristotle would answer that. And so I give the answer in a, in a, in a poem that he writes for Blue. So it, it, it just demonstrates that in the master-pupil relationship, it's very easy for that to turn. Um, and suddenly Blue is actually helping, helping his master and grandfather Horatio.